Hello, I'm Brad. And I'm Jason. You are listening to Dice, Dice in, in My Mind. I found it interesting over the past decade plus that we are starting to see degrees study research jason you know this better than i do by far involving gaming and i'm talking like you there were people that are getting degrees in gaming and cryptocurrency there's this merging of education and technology um in a different way than than what we're used to not from the 1980s look there's an apple II in my classroom now um one of the things that caught our attention And Jason, you've seen this. I mean, we heard about this way back when we interviewed your your colleague, Rob, was this introduction of gaming into education, higher education, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. as a tool and as a platform as much as a pastime. Yep. Yep. And so um, we're going to talk about our special guest here in a bit, but before we do that, I think it's important we talk about this idea of scholarship and gaming and how, you know, from my perspective, looking out in, Jason, you are in academia, so you see this better than I do. But from out looking in, it's interesting about how so mainstream role playing has become analog gaming. You know, I have a son upstairs who's playing rust and something else this is analog gaming pencil and paper gaming um or at least you know for the most part Mm -hmm. the introduction of that and and i'm not even even using the right word the the melding or whatever it is of it into existing curriculum into academia and studying it think about studying gaming as almost like a science yeah how how cool is that yeah, I mean, and and I have to believe semi-humorous that the idea of studying gaming as a science, um, well, I'm not going to say exactly what you do, but it would make you happy. It makes you happy. And I, I don't know how much of it's happening, you know, is under study as a science, but but just the fact that as we've discovered in the past several months, there there is some actual academic inquiry into role playing and role playing games, which which for well for me certainly specifically for me, well, let me let me us so, to a whole new level of geekery. Yeah, and and let me ask you something because of your educational background, and correct me on any of this if I'm wrong. You're wrong. Um, there are, um, you know, from a psychology perspective, I know there's gestalt therapy and therapies where yeah. you role play and interact to to mm-hmm. work through issues, right? Right. You know, I did that when working through, and not not um, it's not a dramatic thing. It's just working through the challenges of of yep. growing up and everything. So yep. I learned to do this. It was an awkward thing for me to do at first. That's not what we're talking about here. No. And I want just, and most people won't know that, but there will be some people that are like, well, I can role play in, in therapy or I can role play in whatever class. This is different. This is taking role playing and making it the subject matter. Mm-hmm. 
and mm-hmm. not a, not even and now I'm even correcting myself, not a tool, but as the subject matter of study in relation to something else, into the relation of psychology, into the relation of education, whatever the case may be. Right. So, but you, I'm I'm doing all the talking here, and no, no. you're the one that has the educational background that that runs rings around mine. So, you will see this much clearer than I do standing back and looking into academia. Well, I mean, I, I think, thanks. I think the, I think that statement's just patently false in terms of running rings, but, but it, it's true that I am, I mean, I'm, I'm immersed, you know, in the academic world. And, um, and so like, you know, I'm, I'm familiar and, and comfortable in terms of journals, you know, academic journals, professional journals, scientific journals, that type of thing. Not, not journals like you scribble in or journals like magazines. So those are all great too. I think one of the things that really intrigued you and me is that there are at least a couple actual academic journals out there dedicated to role-playing. So for example, in, uh, in my browser right now, I have in front of me the International Journal of Role-Playing. That's, and it's legit. And that's absolutely fascinating. Uh, and I, I recall from, from previous just searching online that there's at least one other actual journal dedicated to this. And then of course, you'll find articles in other, in other academic journals. But, but just the fact that there are a couple academic journals dedicated to this, that of course there are a number of books. I shouldn't say of course, there are a number of books that have been written. I mean, like you and I have read some of the histories of D and and, and, and role-playing and whatnot uh, that that's like, I particularly enjoyed uh, uh, of Dyson or uh, what is of Dyson men. Right. And I'm sorry, I, I'm blocking on the author right now. And I don't want to wander away to my bookshelf to look, but, but that's not what we're talking about work. Although that was legitimate journalism, we're talking about academic inquiry and it, it exists. The flip side of that, as you've pointed out to me in just the past couple of weeks, is that we're finding online in the online communities that there are a number of, uh, of, of scientists, humanists, uh, uh, whatever, who, uh, you know, PhDs, who are into role playing and and do something with that professionally you got me wondering and so i I was clicking around in twitter earlier today and it's like boom here's a list and they're all you know retweeting each other and someone's got their phd in english and someone like you sent me one you're like this is a little weird but it's someone who uses rpgs in their clinical psychology work um and, yeah. you know, as weird as that is, I remember, I remember once teaching an adolescent patient how to play chess as part of their psychotherapy to teach them basic thought stopping at a low level and evaluating social planning at a high level, right? And so it's just a it's just, you know, farther down, maybe, maybe that trail. But so anyways, it's just, I think I can say we're both kind of fascinated by this reality that there's like scholarship, legit scholarship. And I, I I mean, I've got enough projects on my plate right now, but every time we talk about this, I'm, I'm like, well, I wonder how I could do something around this. And probably the short answer is I probably can't and won't. 
since Angela will never listen to this, we'll wait until I'm working on my doctorate and then we'll find a way to make it work. There it is. You heard it here, people. <laughs> so you heard it here first. I am in. Okay. I am in. So that's the but but I I actually and and you kind of you kind of gave it away a little bit just because your background and you were talking about psychotherapy. You know, Jason and I'll talk about, you know, Jason is not my therapist. Um, but he and I will talk about things. Oh, there's not enough money in the, oops, I said that on phone. Yeah, you did, but that's fine. But it's true. Um, I just want to make that clear. <laughs> <laughs> so if something ever happens, Jason, you are completely exonerated from any involvement. Um, you heard it here again. Yeah. But um, this idea of role playing, remember in the eighties, there was the whole Satan scare. I can't remember. There was some other terms for it. Um, where everyone thought that this was, you know, you know, satanic and so yeah, on. Yeah. And now we have legitimate research into this. And I always, you know, I sent a couple of things to him because I saw some interesting uh, PhD candidates and PhDs out there that were involved in this. And, and it transcended, it transcended degree. It transcended gender. It transcended everything DEI. It transcended faith. Um, mm -hmm. I mm -hmm. saw you would think, and in here I'm going to go out and say it. Um, and I could say, I feel comfortable saying this. There are a lot of Christians, me as a Christian, there's a lot of them out there who won't do this, who won't play. And what I found was there were a lot of them out there. So what I, only reason I bring that up is, it's gotten so mainstream as opposed to when um, this was developed in 76 and 80. And, you know, our first and second editions are sitting, I can see them sitting on my shelf. Um, it's a very different environment. So, um, and it's, and I think it, that's comforting to me in some way. Yeah. Okay. So I think this is a perfect, a perfect time then to introduce our guest. So a while ago, we had the pleasure, uh, it really was a treat, of speaking with Dr. Tim Woods. And I think what, what made us so want to speak with, with Dr. Woods was that he is, quote, a professional game master. So Brad and I saw that and it's like, how do we get a job like that? And so Dr. Woods has a PhD in English. And as you'll hear in the interview, um, he's just got the neatest background. And it turns out he's also just one of the kindest guys out there. And, and we, had, we had just a blast speaking with him. So by way of introduction, Tim Woods, Dr. Tim Woods, has been teaching and running tabletop RPGs professionally for over 12 years. He runs game events for students in after-school programs, families, companies, and groups of friends. Dr. Woods received his PhD at St. John's University on game-based education and the use of RPGs in the classroom. He partnered with A24 to design the Green Knight RPG in coordination with the film's release, and he's published a volume, Random Tables for Game Masters, available for sale wherever books are sold, a book that proudly sits on Brad's shelf and is what introduced us to him. So obviously pause and go out and order 
that book right now. You know we like random table books, and this is this is one of the major ones. So without further ado, uh, we bring you our interview with Tim Woods. All right, so we are thrilled to have with us today uh, Dr. Tim Woods, who actually is, and I kid you not, a professional game master. So just moving beyond the deep, deep sense of jealousy that I know Brad and I must feel. Like <laughs> this. Um, you, you have a really, really interesting background because now, okay. So Tim, correct me if I'm wrong about any of this, mm-hmm. but great your, to be here. Yeah. Your, your, thank you. Your, your PhD is in, is it English or literature? My, uh, my PhD is in English and literature. And I have kind of a focus in writing and education specifically, because it ended right. up being that when I finished my dissertation, it was right. all about the applications of role-playing games in the writing classroom. That was kind of the experimental space oh. where I was talking about oh. role playing games okay. but it ended up being like very interdisciplinary is what i'll say my yeah. my uh, uh degree at the end of the day right. so okay so beautiful so thank you for the correction because then then i mean literally from the beginning of your you know kind of scholarly career you've you've been mm-hmm. playing absolutely 100 percent. i've been and, playing yeah oh. as, as far back as i i remember learning <laughs> and i mean that's so so we really we really just want to open that with a question I know in listening to other interviews with you and in, in reading some of the things you put out there, and we definitely want to talk about your books. I promise we'll get there. Hey, so but, we should mention, even at the well, beginning, yeah, I it, think we should it. mention. Yeah. yeah. The, so, so Tim, you had come out in August, if I yes. remember correctly. Mm-hmm. So <clears throat> the random tables, cities and towns. And I can say that um, mm-hmm. I use this. Absolutely. Um, I have used it with mm-hmm. Jason and I who do. I'm glad to hear it. <clears throat> yeah. So this was a recent, um, I, I started looking, there was at some books that would help my creative juices flow. Mm-hmm, yeah. And this one caught my attention on Amazon. And then as I was looking through it at the end, I saw your acknowledgements and all that. And I took a picture of it and Absolutely. sent it to, sent it to Jason. Yeah. So yeah, yeah we've been bad. talking about your book for, I mean, we've been talking about your book for months. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And then you also have a second book coming out hopefully in summer of 22. Absolutely. It'll be random tables, dungeons, and crypts and tombs is going to be the uh, theme of this next book. Awesome. awesome. And, and, and oh, no, Brad, go ahead. Oh, no, go right ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, I mean, I, I think some of it's a little self-explanatory, but, and I know you've talked about this elsewhere, so you don't have to go into lots of detail because we've got other questions, but why these books? I mean, because they're kind of, I mean, they're related to what you do, but they're also a little far from what you do on a daily basis. Why these? Absolutely. Honestly, it comes from a place of, you know, I was invited to kind of work with Ulysses Press creating these books. And for my money, when I think about what content people need when they run Game Master, uh, when they run uh, role-playing games, and then when they Game Master for D&D and stuff, uh, it's hard to think about what those people need other than obviously experience Game Mastering. There's really nothing to replace it, unfortunately. And when I think about books that would help people to Game Master better, the advice route is a very hard one to nail down exactly because so much of the advice I would give people tends to be do what works for your group. It's a very fluid concept for better or worse. And so I thought about what I would want if I was a game master and 
it's kind of exactly what you said, Brad, getting your creative juices flowing, I think is one of the greatest services that somebody can provide a game master very often to recharge ourselves. We end up going back to the media, the TV shows, the books, the movies that we end up loving uh, and, uh, or, you know, in the sense that we love them before, or we're discovering something new. Those are very often what get creative juices flowing, I find. And to that end, I basically thought random tables are a very valuable resource, something that you can put in a book and really like feel great about having a whole book full of them as a handy reference. And from there, it was just kind of thinking, what are the spaces in the RPG worlds that are the most chaotic, that lead to the most questions of players saying, hey, I need to know what's across the street from my tavern. You don't need to know why, Game Master. I've got a plan. Okay, now I need to know what's in their garbage. And like, you've got a whole like loop <laughs> plan as a player and guaranteed whatever you were planning to do in that city or town is probably a good 50 50 shot something not that the game master had accounted for had planned for and so i just thought random tables are the most useful in environments like that where maybe yes you're like matt mercer and you've planned out the whole town if so that's great but if not then this book is going to be a very valuable resource for you yeah that's that's just so cool okay so I have, I have two related questions that might be totally unfair, mm-hmm. but I'm really curious what, because Brad and I were, were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. Um, you, you, you game master a lot of games, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. For fun and profit, as it were. Absolutely. Right? Really cool. I'm curious, we're curious, these days, which games or systems do you find yourself more likely to GM? And then the unfair question, which ones do you really especially love GMing? Oh, it's a tough question, but mm-hmm. I can definitely, basically I always tell people right off the bat, most of the time the people reaching out to me to run games professionally are just asking about Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. because if they're reaching out to me very often, it's because they don't have access to a game master. They're new to the hobby. They're uncertain of exactly where to start. And it's usually a good 90% chance at that point that they've only heard of one role-playing game. They've heard of Dungeons and Dragons sure. and that's the game. So yeah. easily 90 of my professional requests are just for Dungeons and Dragons, not really any variation. And most people are kind of like, not exactly sure what, you know, the point of comparison would kind of be. Uh, For my money, my favorite thing to run isn't actually Dungeons and Dragons. Even though I love D&D and 5th edition is, I think, my favorite edition, I do find that Call of Cthulhu is where my heart is sometimes I didn't expect that. I love Call of Cthulhu, I think when people approach a game with the horror mentality, it opens up this whole avenue of fun. There's kind of an approach that's very different to Call of Cthulhu, where it's more dramatic in terms of the timing and how things play out versus uh, D&D tends to be a bit more mechanical. I find more so that Call of Cthulhu, the mechanics will get sacrificed in the interest of telling a good story. And that when I run Call of Cthulhu, it informs the way that then I try to bring that same mentality back into D&D. D&D. And I think it's really the opportunity to just cut loose as a storyteller when you know the players aren't going to win. Like, I get to do whatever I want here, and they've just got to either decide are they going to stick around and run? Are you going to look, or are you going to keep your eyes away? Like, those are really the choices in Call of Cthulhu, and I think it lets you flex kind of as a game master a little bit more in that respect. How long have you been doing that, just out of curiosity? 
the uh, Call of Cthulhu. Call of Cthulhu, funnily enough, is probably the second role-playing game I played very shortly after running my first D&D game. So probably if I started D&D at age 11, I wasn't, uh, oh, thir- I certainly wasn't 13 by the time I had already run Call of Cthulhu for my wow. family and discovered how quickly you can get players to hate Call of Cthulhu if you <laughs> run it a certain way. If you're just like, whatever, that guy just hits you with a spell and you're dead, make a new character. <laughs> I discovered very quickly, like, okay, you can't just do that either. Even though that's maybe a very authentic way to play Call of Cthulhu. If you do it and it's not fun, if it's not exciting to watch your character die, it's yeah, it, yeah. I can considered a lot more challenging as a game master at that age i was nowhere near ready to run call of cthulhu and so Mm -hmm. it was a lot of tears before i ran what i consider my first successful call of cthulhu game probably at age 22 at that point so there was a big gap i would say uh and a lot of DD that i had to run which i think has a better on-ramp for the game master Mm -hmm. at least Mm -hmm. uh, versus call of cthulhu i think you need to have a, a pretty mature sense of um storytelling and drama and dynamics yeah. in order to tell like you can learn all the rules of call of cthulhu it won't really tell you how to run a good call of cthulhu adventure but watching a lot of horror movies will if you watch a hundred horror movies suddenly you'll have know exactly how to run a call of cthulhu story you might just need to learn the rules and at that point that's incidental man i did not see that one coming that's so interesting <laughs> this is why it's organic yeah, because yeah. we didn't we didn't talk about this beforehand. So um, <clears throat> now I'm intrigued because we really haven't dug oh. too de- dug into that game. Because um, no, I'm 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 not into not big into horror. I'm not a Lovecraftian kind of person. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would seriously hesitate to allow Brad to GM any kind of Lovecraftian game because he'd be all over that. Like roll initiative. Oh, you're dead. Like you're I know dead. how the game is going. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Just um, what order do you go crazy in? There you right. go. <laughs> yes. Yeah. But I got to admit, I, I have a feeling that after this interview, Brad and I will be chatting more about Absolutely. this game. Well, and, let's and be clear, Jace. I, I would be fair with everyone except you. So. <laughs> I, I, I believe that's true. Yeah. It's good yeah. to know where you stand. And yeah. He, at least yeah, you know at the outset. <laughs> so. Right. right. Oh, my there God. There you go. So, you know, Tim, you have, you, Again, you've written and you've you've talked about the importance of play mm-hmm. in in development in, in certainly in child development. Uh, I'm I'm kind of curious. I'm kind of curious what you think about that as applied to adults. Uh, do you do you spend a lot of time these days gaming with with adults? And um, you know, like one of my favorite quotations. Is uh, is Einstein's observation that play is the highest form of research, oh, right? And that's and I, beautiful. I yeah, isn't it? And I kind of live by that. I just think that's lovely because I think he's dead right, and we all forget that, right? Mm-hmm. Especially when we've been in school, like the three of us, a long time. Absolutely, we we tend to forget that. And and you're doing this stuff for a living, and with kids, uh, it is you know it's endemic to childhood, right? Kids, mm-hmm. like you've said before elsewhere, <clears throat> kids don't need to learn how to play. They mm-hmm. are natural scientists. They're natural experimentalists. They, they learn the world and themselves through it. And as adults, we lose a lot of that. <clears throat> so I'm curious, you know, do you spend much time gaming with adults? And, and regardless, what do you think about the application of, of play and what you do to adults potentially? 
So I find this fascinating because I remember when I first started writing my dissertation and focusing it on gaming as yeah. education, yeah. I remember talking with my professors and my advisors being like, well, of course, I probably want to focus on the kids doing this because they're already doing it, number one. Right. Number two, that's the education. When adults mm -hmm. are doing it, I have a real struggle proving to people that that's education, right? Right, right? And they were absolutely like you are going in the exact wrong way because they were huge proponents of this mm -hmm. idea that, and the more I did my dissertation, the more I had to agree with them just based on where yeah. everything was pointing me. Adults are absolutely still learning. Adults, yeah. when we leave the educational world, we continue to learn ideally. And we're pointing out how, unfortunately, most people's jobs, when you're in the I academic world, it's easy to forget most yep. people's jobs are not really demanding the mm -hmm. same level of critical thinking and assessment and just research instinct and all these right. great things associated with education and adults suffer for it. Adults yeah. find that when we are in a life path that isn't demanding that kind of stuff, we end up searching for it. Our brain is still looking to do that. And I argue that's the origins of adult play at that point and why I think we're in a really weird place as a culture where we're still shifting into like adults play video games what does this mean and it's like ah but adults have always been finding ways to fill that niche of i'm going to keep i argue it's just our instinct to want to keep learning because ultimately nice. my argument is that's what play is it's we find ways to throw problems at ourselves that don't have the same value assessments that our work do and that's why it's we're in the middle of this huge renaissance of adult gaming it's really just adults acknowledging yeah. in a way we didn't before this need a fundamental need we have like air and water to challenge our minds in meaningful ways that we're asked to work every day but that work is not always asking us to challenge our minds and we need that aspect of it that's the inclination towards both work and play and when our work doesn't provide that and our play doesn't provide that yeah. then we're in big trouble ultimately we need to find it somewhere and uh, uh i i I'm constantly playing this game of being like with the kids, I need to like play the games with them. And maybe as much as they feel comfortable highlighting, we are doing educational stuff. They can, you know, we can work with that conversation and include it in a conscious way. And with adults, I'm kind of doing a similar thing because ironically yeah. it's the adults who are also like, whatever, we're just playing right now. And I'm like, yeah, we are. But what does that really mean? Everybody, you decided to take three hours out of your week to pretend to be this person who then I throw challenges at what, what are we doing here? What are we doing? And the very aware and conscious adults, I think are really, especially nowadays cognizant of the idea that this is uh, something very, very valuable to them. That is, um, uh, uh, providing a challenge and a kind of education yeah. that they don't get outside of, uh, you know, uh, certain contexts. Yeah. That's just so good. That's, that's wow. Yeah. That's, I, I that kind of nails Jason, what we, what we have been going through. And I, yeah. 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 This idea of play, especially, you know, I work in the mm -hmm. business world and I love what I do and I love where I work, mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but you're right. I don't, it's not an academic field, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. it's, there's research oriented orientation to it. Yeah. You know, I work with software that can be fun, but it's different. It's not play. 
you know, so that you've, you've put it in a way that I, I actually think I'm going to have to, yeah, outstanding, you know, so. It's an exciting thing to feel like I kind of organically stumbled into in the sense that I was like, whatever, I'm going to write my dissertation about games and how I think they're educational. And the more research I did, I'm like, is no one paying attention to this? This should fundamentally affect how we perform the act of education and schooling when we know that to my mind, I don't feel good about the statement that I hear too often. Like some people just don't want to learn and that's okay. It's like, no, I don't, I don't think the human mind doesn't want to learn. I think that we find it in many different ways, Mm -hmm. but ultimately that's what that organ does is it wants to learn through play. And the clearer we are about that, the more we're going to understand kind of this work play Mm -hmm. dichotomy Mm -hmm. we found ourselves caught in. And we did can you, be, oh, go, oh, ahead, no, no, go, go ahead. Brad. I was just going to say just real quickly, did you see um, any transformational aspects of this or anything during the pandemic with everybody yeah, at good. home, you know, Ooh. versus like in a school environment, yeah. like when they're back in an environment now? Uh, I think we can appreciate more how play has a fundamentally social dynamic, because I think that people were finding alternatives to play that were more or less successful. And ultimately, what we're really missing was not so much play as it was the social dynamic. You can play in lots of different ways, but I think people were exhausting their non-social ways of playing and discovering how valuable their social ways of playing were. And I certainly found that even though I think everybody, like for my money and all of my customers, I think we were all on the same page. It's just not the same done digitally when you're trying to like really recreate that around the table experience. I think we all kind of felt that way. But at the same time, I don't th- I think we valued Dungeons and Dragons during the pandemic in a, in right. a way that it was never valued Big time. in this way. I think we're going to see the end of the conversation about this is just a game. And it's not because people are recognizing that, oh, it's a mature thing and actually quite Mm -hmm. complex and demands critical thinking. Ironically, I think that conversation will die because of the pandemic and how people were like, well, I don't even know what is a life, what saved people's lives this year. And I have no doubt there are people out there who Dungeons and Dragons fundamentally was their lifesaver. And I don't even know fully what that means. That's a very yeah. intense line of conversation, obviously. But I think now people are recognizing that games have uh, more of a value than certainly we were putting on them before. Yeah, I mean, I no question about it. I mean, we agree. I mean, that's that's part of the impetus, I think, for the reason Brad and I got into this of, hey, our games aren't working, but we like talking about it, right? Because it's, it's an interesting way to handle that. Honestly, it's like the games like aren't quite the same, but talking about them feels more important than ever. So it's a yeah. nice way to handle it, honestly. So, so Tim, have you, I mean, I'm going to make an assumption here, but just for these past, you know, year and a half, two years, right? The pandemic that never ends, mm-hmm. it seems. Uh, I'm assuming you had to move a lot of your work online. I was very lucky that I had a lot of clients who pretty much seemed to have a good sense of where things were going mm-hmm. better than myself and immediately were reaching out kind of like we would like to move over digitally. Mm-hmm. And before long, I didn't have any clients who weren't eagerly wow. like trying to okay. make this work as best as possible. Then the question was just kind of what tools do I use and not use? Like every group I would use Zoom with, but the okay. question was, would I also use Roll20 with right. this? Well, yes, this group, they love the maps. We're going to do that. This group, they prefer theater of mind. We're going to do this. So 
uh, it was it, it yeah. definitely like didn't take longer than three weeks for the like shift as far as I was concerned to be like really 100%. Quick. Yeah. And it, then I had a, it was a, a good influx of more people trying to reach out. And it was at that point a scheduling issue. I just wasn't able to take on more clients, but I saw a huge yeah. uptick in demand during the wow. pandemic, certainly. Great problem to have. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. yeah. It was not great how it happened, but certainly clear that people were uh, more interested in D&D than ever before. Mm-hmm. Man. So um, you kind of beat us to uh, 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 one more question here. Um, aside from, you know, just the, the technical elements of the switchover, right? The, like you said, Zoom, Roll20, in terms of the table stuff, like you were talking about the social element, I'm, I think we're curious, handling that transition to the to the distributed digital table are are there things you found you had to keep in mind or or simply things you in you know you made a point to hold on to to aid that transition i mean i'm curious from the non-technical aspect but from more of the social or creative element was there anything you found compelled to do differently to make it work for your tables Honestly, I hesitate because this is where like I, I, I think we're all like second guessing ourselves in these like Zoom meetings and yeah. stuff. And I'm constantly like, oh, did I do a good job really changing the way that I hold con- the conversation with people yeah. in this digital space? And I mean, really, I, I tried to allow for silences because I was recognizing that I wasn't doing that in the beginning. There's an impulse to just want to talk through every, because the silence seem more awkward in a zoom meeting. So I was like, ah, sometimes you just got to let them happen. Even though in this digital space, it seems much more painful and like, Oh, should I just keep things moving? So the pacing issue, I don't know that I did it any better than anybody else because I think this is something we all experienced was learning how to talk in these Zoom meetings and stuff. And I, I would love to say I thought I was, you know, better than average, but I don't really know if that's true or not. I yeah. I find I'm still very awkward in like these digital spaces. And I will be I'm excited that as time goes on more and more people are kind of switching over to live meetings and stuff. But like uh I'm still interested in the idea that maybe there's a whole culture out there of like kind of adjusting better to, to what is the con- a conversation or a specifically a Dungeons and Dragons conversation like in that digital space. And I have to admit, I think I have a lot to learn in that regard still. I still feel like I'm working on that aspect, but not over talking, not trying to just bulldoze the right. conversation just to keep the momentum going. Those are things I struggle to not do in my D&D games, which is still a spillover probably from my live games, but like it's a little easier to read body language and stuff when you're in person. I mean, if you're sitting around a table, you could see people marking up or, or, looking or whatever you know that you Absolutely. know that they're doing something so the silence is still work right you know, exactly ha- you know having having worked at home before the pandemic mm-hmm. and watching people adapt silence is 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 awkward in these environments and and i struggle i struggle a lot with what you talked about um allowing the silence i'm especially bad at allowing the silence to organically allow people to think Absolutely. It's, it's, a, it, I knew it was the struggle that like probably was so universal, but I just, I, I would, I, I don't think I handled it necessarily better than, than anybody. 
Yeah. Well, because yeah, we all had so much warning <laughs> that society was about to shift. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I remember when it started being like, I don't know Roll20 well enough for this. I know Roll20 mm -hmm. enough to, to like, yeah. I guess, land on my feet here, but I'm like, I've got a lot still. And and funnily enough, you know, running my, my brother running our family game and stuff, he ended up tutoring me in a decent amount of the, the tools that I ended up really using. Oh, nice. So, okay. I have an unfair question. Promise this will be one of our last. No I know problem. And we're Absolutely. talking about this. Um, this is this is, and and we, we don't want to pigeonhole you. You're not making any commitments here. Okay. Uh, we know you like Cthulhu and that uh -huh. that whole thing. However, in terms of actual dice mechanic, ooh, okay. Okay. In terms of actual, because Brad and I really do like geeking out yes. of this. I mean, for every mm -hmm. conversation we have that we record, we have way too many offline about dice mechanics. And in fact, in fact, an upcoming episode is going to be on like, what if we were to actually use dice to make decisions for a few days in real life? I don't think I'm actually going to do that. Um, you know, so far my wife is happy and I'd like to keep it that way, but we're well, you keep, you keep indicating that I'm going to, and let, oh, yeah. yeah, I, I, I keep indicating I'm going to, and Ooh, I'm not necessarily volunteer. going okay, well, well, to, no, no, no. We'll I volunteered we'll the see. topic. I didn't volunteer to be a subject of your experiment. Yeah, I mean, what, so. whatever, tomato, tomato, but, but, but <laughs> our, our, our question for you, Tim is, is, um, you know, especially through the lens. I mean, you know, we're just kind of posers here. You know, you've got a doctorate in in english and and creative writing and what i mean you you come with these real chops right uh, and so your ability to look at storytelling and the social aspect of this you know just wonderful we're really curious i'm really curious if you look at the dice mechanics out there with which you're familiar mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. regardless of the game or the setting mm -hmm. are there any dice mechanics or is there a dice mechanic that you really just love or think helps replicate an experience right like you know i can think of one because my argument would be all the dice mechanics mm -hmm. are good for telling some certain specific kind of story and that all of them are equally good or bad at simulating the real world like as as yeah. realistic as it feels that's right. how realistic it is maybe is a good way to say it but i like one particular aspect of the dice mechanics about the burning wheel system uh, specifically when I ran mouse guard, the burning wheel system runs off of mouse guard. And one okay. of the details about the burning wheel system is that if you say, I'm going to get the exact numbers wrong about yeah. this, but I, I know conceptually how it works is, mm -hmm. so let's say you have a, a, a three ranks in the basket weaving skill. Then in order to level up the basket weaving skill, part of what I love about burning wheel is there will be like a basket weaving skill, any skill. And you'll notice you can tell any kind of story. Your okay. character can be good at building campfires and basket uh, baskets. And then like you just make a whole campaign out okay. of building increasingly better campfires and baskets. And like, that's your story arc kind of, it doesn't, the, the combat skills are just intermixed with every other skill you can kind of imagine. But if you're trying to level up any of these skills, let's say it's basket weaving three, that means you need to get to, to get to basket weaving four, you need to succeed three times at a basket weaving check, check off all three of those, one, two, three, okay. and you need to fail two times. So you can, if you get to three oh, that's successes, interesting. You, you don't level up yet. If you right. keep accruing successes, it doesn't matter. They don't yeah. do anything. They just, they, they don't, they, they don't even go towards leveling you up later. You just are not 
gaining any long lasting benefit, just yeah. gaining the successes. But once you get to failures, then you level up because you learn from your mistakes. And Man. what that encourages you to do is to be like, I don't need a success. I'm trying to get a failure. So I'm going to build like a basket with all these penalties. I'm going to go underwater in a lake to build a basket, or I'm going to build the heart, the biggest basket in the world, or like a special kind of basket. You just make, you try to try to tackle right. something out of your league in order to get the failure because that's how you learn is by tackling something that's outside of your current level of abilities so i'd argue the burning wheel system is the best representation of actual progress it's not like you kill a hundred goblins and then you get better at all of your skills and at combat and everything you just end up like um mastering a skill by doing a certain number of successes at things yeah. that you can attain and then a certain number of failures at either things you can attain or because you reached uh, beyond your your grasp as it were um I, I i think it is a beautiful representation of the actual learning process as it were nuts and bolts <laughs> i okay so brad we now have our assignment from dr woods well i know what we're both going to be reading tonight um uh man i was just gonna say brad's already gone to amazon to take a peek at what's out there yeah so, I, I would say brad has a bit of a problem with amazon yeah. right um We're, we have a we have a very tight-knit relationship absolutely yeah i mean i consider myself a user but but you have a problem right yeah <laughs> yeah that is I, that I is fascinating it's a great yeah. great book to yeah, pick thanks up. i don't know anything about i mean i've heard of mouse guard i've heard of it but mm -hmm. i've never played it i've never had it in my hands and i've not heard of the burning wheel system so i i mean it when i say i'm going to be looking into this tonight that sounds they fascinating are, they are a good matchup because the mouse guard stories are all about these mice trying to essentially overcome challenges sometimes through combat but often not often so not. it's right. kind of a, a a good representation of what maybe a non-combat focused system would kind of look like when you when you dm uh dungeons and dragons versus if you're dming mouse guard or something mm -hmm. with burning wheel or a narrative type mm -hmm. of a failure success system like you find it more difficult um, more difficult to run D and D. I, I would or say either one, one more difficult than the other, or I would say I find D and D easier to run because D and D has so many like standards and clear codified things. Very often, okay. it's a um video gamey enough system that there are very often concrete things, and then not even just that there's concrete things to reference back to, but then the assumptions that people go in with. Like you can go to somebody and say that's just how healing potions work, and like they yeah. kind of like you. There's going to be some place where you got to get on board with the fact that this is a game system and not a perfect representation of the real world. And sometimes there are just limits to make the like to balance fighters and wizards or some arbitrary thing within the game system. Yeah. So at some point, D&D will you got to meet halfway there and be yeah, like, yeah, right. it's because I played video games. I know the tropes and the right. ideas and the concepts that you're working with yeah. versus 
a more abstract system like burning wheel is going to inherently, I think, demand more of an, like somebody can be like, that's not how you build a campfire. And I'd be like, yeah, it's, I mean, this whole game is about campfire building because you built the campfire, the, the campfire building character. So uh, let's get this right, everybody. And it's, uh, um, yeah, the comparison would be if it's a RPG all about sailing and somebody at the table knows about sailing as opposed to D&D. It's like if somebody knows about sailing and they hop on a boat, I'm like, great, you're my boat guy. All the rules, you just let me know what they are because if he's, you know, you're going to, It'd be be bringing it up anyway. It's a perfect way to kind of incorporate it. Yeah, man, just fascinating. Look, Tim, thank you so much for taking time with us today. Absolutely. This is we've really been looking forward to to talking with you, learning from you. We're fans of the book. We're looking forward to book number two coming out next Absolutely. year. Something exciting to look forward to. Um, we hope you'll come back. We we hope you'll come back in the future. We would love to talk to you when that next book comes out. Yeah, I was just going to say I was hoping we could we could actually give Doctor Woods an assignment. <laughs> and have him come back yes. when the next book comes out. Absolutely. So, when the next book comes out, that'd be perfect timing. Honestly, I'm going to want to talk about it. So that'll be, that'd be great. I'd love awesome. to. And we're going to want to hear about it. Thank you so much. Absolutely. My pleasure. Thanks guys. Wow. Um, wow. One of, I think you said this before he joined us. One of the nicest guys, just when you get him on there and you can tell he's extraordinarily bright. I picked up the book at the same time. I just picked up two or three because I wanted to have some material. Um, obviously, I picked up Jeff's book, Jeff Ashworth's book. And then I picked up Tim's book. And it was honestly because the, the homebrew environment I've built is really built around small cities, small towns, small little villages. And one of the areas I had trouble with was developing the material in those communities. Mm -hmm. So when I saw this book, I'm like, Ooh, random tables, cities, and towns. Yeah. Great. Then I looked at the cover and I'm like, Dr. Tim Woods. Interesting. So then I read his bio, looked yep. him up. The material's fantastic. Um, and it's very creative and how it's used. And then the more, I think I sent you a copy of the cover and then a mm -hmm. copy of the bio. And yeah. then you and I just took off reading up. On oh, this. yeah. And the more we read, the more we realized. We had to get Tim on the podcast. We had to talk to him because he is like we talked in the beginning. I mean, you know, there's others out there, but he's the first person I've personally talked to. Yeah. That has made a career of doing it and Man. studying it. And then bringing yeah. it to to kids and others educationally i mean yeah. as you heard wow now so no, go ahead go ahead no, no no go right ahead i was i was just gonna say i just want to say thanks again dr woods because we had so much fun talking with you so much fun talking with you uh that said you also introduced us to something else specifically oh. so we've got to wander over to the jam corner because brad you have been chomping at the bit to talk about this on the podcast for better than a month. Yeah. So and we've at, been waiting. So yeah. the floor is yours. So obviously we recorded uh, Tim, Dr. Woods's interview a while back. Um, and we've done some recording since. Um, so we've had this in our pocket. And as you heard, Tim, I think if I remember correctly, we had it on record. Um, 
he talked about an RPG called The Burning Wheel. There it is. And I have been, because we were talking about what's your favorite narrative dice system. Right. And when he said the burning, I was expecting something different, yeah. you know, like we were like, what's that? Yeah. So when he said the burning wheel, literally, I was as we were interviewing, I threw it up on Amazon quick um, just to get an idea of what this is. Yep. And um, it's had multiple iterations. Yep. I think the latest iteration is still a couple of years old. Um, ironically, we've talked about this prior where my wife went with me to a gaming store first time ever i walked in the gaming store they had a copy of oh that's cool they had a copy of and there's a version out there called the gold edition Mm -hmm. and then there's a codex there's two books right that covers everything for the most part that were in prior editions um it was um the more i read it the more i realized that it is it, it's very crunchy. I don't yeah. think we get played anytime soon. It takes a lot of time for you to build your characters because of the detail involved. And that crunchiness is built on a really detailed philosophical yeah. like, like basis. Yeah. So we're going to talk about this one in the future. Yep. We're going to get more dedicated. info on it. Yep. But thank you to Dr. Woods for bringing it up because he came out of nowhere and mentioned this one. It Again, much like um, we talked and will talk about games, indie games, and so on. Um, this one, I'm showing. I'm showing how green I am. This one wasn't on the radar. And, and as it, I've read it, man, yeah. the more I read it, the more I wanted to talk about it, and I couldn't no. until the interview was out. Um, and now no. that it's out, I, we can start introducing and even talking about. Yeah, it yeah. Because you have been. Oh my God! For weeks. Yeah. Every day I heard something from you about Burning Wheel. And, and you know, I, I mean, we both looked into it. it. It does look really intriguing. We are absolutely going to be talking about this. And, and you know what? Someday we might even play it. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think that's a, I don't think it's a duet game. Um, I think yeah, we'd have to get right. others involved. Yeah. Um, and it's a book I even joked to you and said, um, you know, don't buy it now. There's other stuff that, we yep. can use right now, yep. but put it in your, put it on your, your save list or whatever down the road. It is worth a purchase. It is a fascinating game. We are going to have to talk more about it um, because mm-hmm. in all honesty, I don't, I, it didn't Tim's mention of it. All of a sudden now it's showing up all over the place with me. It's showing up on reports about how about gaming platforms and who's playing what on a quarterly basis. The burning wheel is showing up. I mean, it's showing of, up everywhere. Part of that is just signal detection theory. That's a, yeah. But but part of that, but but right. I mean, you know, you you click on enough threads and it starts to populate. No, thank you. That's exactly. I knew you'd have the right term for it. I'd probably heard of it before. We've probably heard the term before. We didn't know what it was. Now that it's on the radar. Every time it comes up, because of how right. fascinating it is, signal detection theory. Thank you. That's that's the term. Yeah, so, we because now we're aware of it, and and I mean, you are just super like excited said, about it. But yeah, but I, like I you said, he really uses cool. uses the engine for the engine is used for Mouse Guard, the RPG game. Right. So right. Which another thing we did not expect. No. 
right of, of just how much he or anyone loves and that tells you yeah. That yeah. tells you how much he's into this because he knows all. Oh, these, yeah, you know? yeah. So again, Doctor Tim Woods, thank you so much. It was a true pleasure chatting with you. Look forward to doing it again in the future. Thanks, everyone, as always, for listening, for being with us. Uh, be well, stay well, and as uh, as you hear this, may you have a happy, healthy conclusion to this year. And may 2022 ring in with a, a lot of goodness for us all. Take care, everybody. Bye-bye.